0: Doctor? When we get into the
1: conversation, well at first I was like son-in-law, no wait, his dad's an ice cream doctor. Um, My name is... When we get into the conversation, we're not going to start and stop, so at least we got to nail the opening. Okay. Okay, ready? <laughs> hey, this is Bobby Behemoth.
0: And this is Dr. Joey Leviathan.
1: Well, you're the son of a an ice cream doctor, right?
0: I am, and you are a, a doctor.
1: Uh, no, of almost, bo- almost. Oh, uh, so sorry about that, guys. <clears throat> Hopefully in the spring. So this podcast is uh, obviously a little goofy at times. It's going to be silly. Mm -hmm. But I think we're going to cover serious stuff. We're talking about issues of faith, religious philosophy, history, uh, ancient texts, and philosophy in general, like meaning of life existentialism and nihilism and, you know, is it all meaningless? all All those deep questions. Life, death, afterlife. Uh, Anything that tickles our fancy. I think our goal is just to have conversations about these topics with some sense of understanding that we have from the studies we've done and and books we've read, but also uh, just to be honest about our thoughts on all these things. Indeed. Starting our timer. I'm going to start our timer, Joe. Uh, In our personal lives, we talk really, really, uh, we we talk a lot and don't know how to stop. Yes, a timer is going to be great.
0: Set a timer. So this. Doesn't turn into a something I get fired for. I'm on my lunch break at the moment.
1: You didn't have to say that. Ooh, nobody needed to know that. I actually, uh, it was a shake break. Well, uh, yeah, that's right. I drank a shake. Yeah, let me guess, protein shake.
0: Yeah, protein in it. Did yes. <laughs> it did. <laughs> <laughs> About uh, roughly a uh, blended beef jerky. Sixty-five grams.
1: I like to blend up some raw eggs and beef jerky in the morning
0: yeah you don't know, have to <clears throat> blend them
1: a little whey protein powder just to thicken it up
0: smart okay. there's a uh, <clears throat> well. Wow. we could go down okay th- rob
1: so for, <laughs> or, sorry bobby behemoth for no. this uh first session we said that we would use a kind of an introductory prompt a little bit that you had written about ancient texts so if you want to start with that
0: ancient texts we'll yes walking. i sent joe a i said he said what do we want to talk about and i
1: should i be looking at the camera when i I I thought of the same thing. I thought, should we just look at each other or should we look at the audience?
0: I think we should just do what's natural, probably. Okay. What a stupid question, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Don't let me ask stuff like that. All right, so I was talking to Joe and uh, we've been having this idea for for a podcast for a while. What are we going to talk about? And I said, well, it might just be just one long conversation split up by a timer where we have some prompts. So I sent Joe a few prompts and uh, said, pick one of these. And he said... Let's go with the ancient text one. So that prompt is... I, I, I sent Joe, this. I said, dismissing ancient extra-biblical texts opts out of an opportunity to corroborate. It's like saying that the prophets in the Old Testament aren't worth listening to because they're not Jesus. Or like the Old Testament scholars, not listening to Jesus because he wasn't Abraham. Right? If, if, if God... Wants all nations to come to him. Is it that crazy to think that he planted roots before biblical texts were penned? Isn't that kind of how biblical texts were penned? That's
1: what I wrote. That's what I wrote, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. So, preface before we talk, if you're interested in this topic and you want to research it more, uh, I would recommend two different people to you, both of whom I would trust and and whose books or lectures I've listened to, books I've read, that sort of thing. Uh, one is Joseph Lamb, who's at UNC Chapel Hill, and he's a uh, an expert in Semitic languages, Akkadian, Sumerian, uh, Ugaritic text, as well as the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, uh, all those ancient Near Eastern texts. He's an expert at that stuff. That's his, sort of his life's work, and he seems like a really nice guy, down-to-earth guy. I don't know that he is religious at all. Uh, as, as far as I can tell, he doesn't he doesn't hold to any religious system, but but I can't speak for him. I'm not sure. Jeffrey Lamb? Joseph Lamb. Joseph? L- L-A-M. Joseph L-A-M. Lamb.
0: L-A-M. You know uh, Dr. Ice Cream went to Chapel Hill.
1: Oh, and I didn't realize that. Yeah. Well, this guy's relatively young, so oh. your dad, this guy and your dad would not have crossed paths. My dad knows younger think. people. But yeah, he knows young people, but he wouldn't have been at UNC Chapel Hill at the same time. This guy works alongside Bart Ehrman, who's one of the foremost New Testament scholars today. He's, he's definitely an avowed atheist, Bart Ehrman. Uh, Bart? I'm, not, I'm not sure about Joseph Lamb. And just to be clear, okay. I don't care. Uh, you know, Bart Ehrman's an intelligent guy, and he also seems like a nice, friendly guy. Cool. He's pretty down to earth. Okay. But he's another expert on the, the Bible, and the New Testament in particular. Joseph Lamb is an expert on the Old Testament, or what we call the Old Testament, the First Testament, whatever you want to call it, the Hebrew Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. Tanakh okay. stands for Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketuvim, which means the Law, the Writings, and the Prophets. Oh God, dude, I should have brought a notebook. And I said that backwards. The Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. I was going to say. <clears throat> anyway, the point is, Joseph Lamb is somebody you could read or listen to. And then the other one is uh, Dr. Michael Heiser, which is uh, someone else that I've always really enjoyed. He is an avowed Christian, he was. Uh, he recently passed away actually, uh, I believe he had cancer. But he until until the time that he really couldn't anymore toward the end of his life, he was still recording videos, podcasts, publishing materials, uh, offering courses online. He's, he's a teacher at heart. And he is also a PhD in Semitic languages and Hebrew customs and all that kind of stuff. You I know, do know him. He's, he's an expert on the, the ancient Near East. He's great. I've read a, read a few of his books they there. So for any listeners who want a Christian perspective with that sort of bias from a religious person, Michael Heiser, Dr. Michael Heiser would be great. Uh, Dr. Joseph Lamb would be great if you want a more secular view or if you just want to balance things out with another expert okay so that's it I'm not an expert I don't have a PhD in these things um, that's not not my expertise I did take a, I took a couple of years of Hebrew in college and I've I've read portions of a lot of these ancient texts so I know I'm familiar with it but I'm not the expert on it so I just want to clarify that and I all can right.
0: recognize a little bit of Hebrew myself
1: yeah,
0: demonstrated yeah I know. you by sent,
1: sent me the word menorah the other day yeah
0: well I love menorah yeah, yeah.
1: I, I love lamb <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> it really was clever that's all, I, that's all I that's
1: all I that's all I know Okay, uh, so let's, let's talk. The <clears throat> Hebrew Bible. There are differences of opinion, but I think most scholars would agree that the Hebrew Bible was composed within the you know, the last millennia B.C. So, anywhere around 9, 8, 700 B.C. is that, you know, when it was officially pieced together by scribes into the book that we know today. Before that, there may have been oral tradition. There are stories that were told. But when we're thinking about the Hebrew Bible, that is the Bible of the Jewish people and the Christians Old Testament in their Bible. Uh, that, that book, as we know it, to begin, we have to admit it's a collection of stories and poems and writings and prophetic literature. It's, it's a collection of different genres of literature. And more than that, it's a collection developed over hundreds of years. So it's not just a book. It's not like God came down from heaven and handed the King James Bible to somebody in 1611 and said, Here you go. This is my holy word. Uh, it, it was never never presented sure in one <laughs> it, <laughs> uh, some people may argue with me on that point but those people don't know uh, what they don't know so Fair. <clears throat> the Hebrew Bible is an important text what a lot of people don't know or maybe refuse to admit is that there are other important ancient texts that even recently we have uncovered as recent as the 1800s like the Enuma Elish which is uh, the Babylonian story of creation and it's We've got some similarities. I mean, there's, so in the Hebrew Bible, I'll say a little bit more than I'll let you talk. The Hebrew Bible, you have, uh, well, let me ask you, in the beginning, what what is there in the Hebrew Bible from your recollection? Um, Genesis 1, 1, like in the very beginning. The, the, the word. Okay. Uh, well, John would say the word. Uh, is, is God and with God. Darkness? Uh, yeah, there's darkness, and there's, there's water, right? hmm Hamayim, the God, water. You know, f- f- <clears throat> there, he, he was uh, floating above the water. Yeah, God, the Spirit right. of God, is hovering or floating above <clears throat> the waters, Hamayim, the waters. And then he separates Hamayim v'Hashamayim, the water from the water of waters, the heavens. And that's the origin story. is water being separated from water, and then the creation narrative unfolds. In the uh, Enuma Elish, you have a goddess of salt water and a god or goddess of fresh water. I can't exactly remember, but it's like two deities, two gods, one of salt water, one of fresh water, who are in the beginning helping to to do this creation work. So Hmm. there are some interesting similarities. There are also plenty of things that are different. But this is a document that wasn't uncovered until the mid-1800s and recovered from, uh, like a ruined library in the Middle East. What, what, what's it, it called? The Pneuma, Enuma, Enuma Enuma, like, e like en- Enumerate, kind of. Yeah, uh, Enuma with an A at the end, though. Gotcha. Um, E N U M A, okay, and then E L I S, but it's like a like a shin, like a sh sound. So, okay, and sh- that's
0: Babylonian,
1: I guess you could say Elise. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's the Mesopotamian, no, not Babylonian, it's, uh, well, yes, yeah, Babylonian, but it's, um. Like the region of Mesopotamia. So we believe it was probably... Sumerian... Well, you know Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. It was uh, Nebuchadnezzar probably during his reign. Okay. Around that that time. That it was was written is what they think. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So we're talking similar time period to some of the Jewish writings in the Hebrew Bible. Gotcha. So that's why I mention it. Here's a text we didn't even know existed, but it was... Thankfully, it was uh, recorded on clay of some kind that was preserved, even though the library was ruined. The library was in um, Masul, Iraq like modern-day Iraq. Okay. Back then, it was called Nineveh, but in the Middle East. So you have, in in this region, the Asia Minor, I guess, you have uh, other texts being written by other people groups that are not the Jewish Hebrew people. But they are writing similar stories with similar themes and characters that even have similar backstories and uh, the, the narration of the events of their lives kind of overlaps at times. So the Enuma Elish is an interesting one. The one that a lot of people know Another sort of Mesopotamian document would be the Epic of Gilgamesh. I'm mm-hmm. sure you've heard of that one. Sure. That's where you have a flood, a flood, account, a flood story yeah. that's a lot like the Noahic flood of Genesis. Thirty-five, about
0: fifteen hundred BC, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's it predates. I actually just watched something on that oh, last really? night. Yeah. And talking about the the you know the important like what they had back in the day. I don't want to digress too much, but what they had back in the day, <clears throat> the day we're discussing, and the region we're discussing. Was lots of reeds and lots of mud, and they yeah. used it quite effectively.
1: So that's another story that becomes a standard Babylonian document that was recorded. You know, uh, probably similar time period, like maybe a thousand BC. But the poems, the Sumerian poems that are in that document, there's reason to think they go back to fifteen or fifteen hundred or two thousand BC. Hmm. So they predate these other documents. So the Epic of Gilgamesh is one of the oldest documents that we have a record of in the ancient Near East. Uh, so I, I think that's fascinating. If the Hebrew Bible, if much of it was written during the uh, exilic and mo- most of it, I think in the post-exilic period. So after the Babylonian exile, when they start coming back into Jerusalem uh, under Persian occupation, gotcha. uh, the story like good Der- King Cyrus. Darius and and, and du- yeah, yeah, Darius and all, yeah, exactly. Um, during, during all that time period with the Persian empire, that, you know, if that is the right time period, then you have another important document that people don't often consider that was also published around that time. Or at least pieced together, and that's the Hindu document. One of their one of their two big books that everybody you know would care about in Hinduism is the uh, Mahabharata, and inside of that, w- one section is the uh, uh, oh gosh, the Bhagavad Gita, which is like seven hundred line poem or something. I've kn- not yeah. About all I it. know
0: is what uh, what they said in the Manhattan Project. So the only
1: part of it I know. I don't even remember. That. I
0: am become death, or I uh, after the success. I forget. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Oppenheimer didn't he say? right? Oppenheimer part, quotes yeah, it, but part, I don't remember.
1: Yeah, it was. I think it was. Well, I I'm like, about to quote it, so oh uh, but not that. Not one. that part. So not that part. So okay. I have a couple of quotes because I want. I want to show how these ancient documents do overlap at times. Well, let's let's go back to the Bhagavad Gita in general, before I quote from it, you have this character, uh, Krishna, who is like an avatar of the God, which is very similar to the idea of incarnation with Jesus as uh, the embodiment of, of the God of Judeo-Christianity, right? So then you have Krishna, who is this avatar of the God walking among humans. He's on, I think he's on a chariot, and uh, or maybe he's the charioteer. I can't remember, but, but there's like a discussion going on. The whole poem is him discussing this with someone else And its stories, some of the stories are not unlike stories about Jesus. I mean, I don't think they are copycat characters, but they have some similar stories. So one example is Krishna, his mother, although she's not an eminent virgin or anything like some Christians would teach about Mary, she she conceives him without having any intercourse. So Hmm. that element's interesting. At one point, he dances upon the head of a serpent and it's like a thousand-headed serpent and he dances on its one head to confuse it so he can defeat it. Well, here's a the god yes. in a human form dancing on the head of a serpent. I mean, the biblical allusions there are obvious with Jesus stomping they're, the head of the serpent under Yeah, him. exactly. Yeah, so they're, they're direct. That, I mean, those I now that's I'm grasping at straws sure. to show similarities. I don't think that the uh, Bhagavad Gita Krishna is the same as the biblical Jesus. I don't think they're the same person. I don't think they're trying to be the same person i'm telling you the themes of the ancient near eastern world and even the further east like into asian countries like india today even in the in the further east reaches places where maybe the magi would have come from in the new testament account of of the birth of christ those areas also had similar origin stories and creation narratives and explanations of human existence and meaning and all of that those ancient texts overlap a lot with biblical texts and they were written in similar time periods Hundreds of years before Jesus ever showed up in the New Testament. So my point is simply to say the overlap, the more you read and, and study, the overlap becomes obvious. None of it is copied. We don't, we don't believe any of these documents directly copied each other. Now there are cases like the Quran and the Hebrew Bible share books. So they're sure. not necessarily copied. They literally have the same books. In their origin story, <clears throat> and make no apology for it. No, they all—they right. all understand their Abrahamic faiths. Right. So the Christian Bible, the Jewish Tanakh or Hebrew Tanakh, and the Islamic Quran—you know—they're in different languages today, but they all have the same origin story with Abrahamic faith. You know, the the lineage of Abraham, but as opposed to Isaac, you have Ishmael uh, and things like that. So the the origin stories branch together at their at their Genesis but no pun intended. Uh, but, but they, you know, in the literal sense of in the beginning, but mm-hmm. they branch away from each other further through human history. <clears throat> gotcha. So as human history goes on, they they sort of grow apart. But they, even as they grow apart, their or, their shared origins mean they often overlap in ideology and uh, and even, I would argue, if, if, as I do, believe that all humans are created in the image of some kind of divine being that I, you know, I call God, but whatever that is, I believe all humans are made in that image. So I don't think just American Western Christians are made in that image so even though even though I myself am an American and I'm uh, I'm a professed Christian That doesn't mean that I think other people aren't also made in the image of God and would have similar uh, thinking and and even human experience because they're humans like human experience is a shared experience no matter what your religious background so then if religion is often the written testaments of people who have experienced these things it's no surprise that their their written testimony overlaps at times, that they've experienced similar things and explained it in similar ways.
0: And that should that, that should be exciting. you know. That, I think that's cool. Yeah, it's a good yeah, one. Yeah. It, it, and, and, you know, I, I see why, and there's, a, there's so much to talk about, but I, I see why you'd have somebody who, despite, maybe it's not, uh, maybe there are very, educated and they, you know, they they have the, the breadth of knowledge that you've talked about in a lot of different spaces <clears throat> and they appreciate the history, etc. But they are very closed when it comes to anything anything involving God, let's just say religion for lack of a better word uh, they will close off to every anything and everything, don't touch it it's a hot stove, don't even read it, don't look at it. And part of that I'm sure it comes out of a place that's well intended. Um, almost like uh, maybe, maybe if there's a well, you have a lot more direct experience with this than I do. But like, almost like a, if there's a substance ab- abuse uh, organization, and, and you, you're not going to say, hey, go out. And if yeah, you want to try a martini or whatever, you know, just don't, you know, don't stick around at the bar too long. You, know, you can't just say that you want to be like, hey, guys, let's focus on what's important here right now. Don't go there. It's, you know, some people at certain seasons of their life, need that 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 leash, and they could serve a great purpose. You know the the New King James folks who you were kind of talking about the you know God handed this in 1611 or whatever and said this is it. Um, while I think those folks are uh, kind of annoying to talk to, um, I appreciate them in the sense that they're kind of on the grand of the grand scale of of. <clears throat> Of coming closer to God, and understanding, basically just having direction as to how to live our lives, you kind of have to have checks and balances, and even and and then that, that includes folks on the very far end of, you know, a, you know what a, a Joseph Lamb or whatever I'm, I'm assuming, whatever whatever the spectrum is. It's all holds together. It's all, I believe, anyway, God's creation, God's plan. He knows what He's doing. He didn't. He didn't only plant people that are going to say exactly what He wants them to. I think at the, at the, at the beginning of times, as in the end of times, if we can even say that there is such a thing as the beginning and the end. It's all one big narrative that all points to the same place. So on one hand, I do, I, I you know, I appreciate, I. I think what you're saying is is way more in line with what I believe. You're just um, you're articulating it better um, with you know, your education, and you're smarter than me. But right. the uh, but I do think that I do think that the the folks I'll just say I won't say anybody's name, but the the guy who I love when we were in Bible study, <coughs> and uh, a dude raised his hand, older gentleman, and said, uh, "Hey, why don't you just teach us what it says?" <laughs> <laughs> like those guys are, uh, like I said, they're they're they they can be aggravating, but they serve a purpose. And I've learned actually a lot. There's a lot of folks who in my my walk with God, my uh, my as a Christian, who have taught me probably more than anybody has. Um, yet they're they're kind of in these more rigid concrete. Uh, understandings of 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 scripture and, and and they do that i think they do that i think they have their place i don't think anybody is really right i just think that certain people gravitate certain people get turned away from you know, i'll give you an example me myself like if i if i went and asked about oh, why is say why is uh in the book of jude uh the, the book of enoch referenced? like that's really weird i didn't think we we're supposed to if somebody said to me uh that's yeah that's just a that's a misprint or you know it's that basically blew it off as yeah, you, you know read. i'm asking or gilgamesh like <clears throat> some let's say somebody comes to you joe it's maybe a, a college kid says hey uh i, I read the book of gil uh, the epic of Gilgamesh," and Talk about a lot of stuff that's in the Bible. It's a little different, and I, I, some people think it might even predate the Bible. What do you think? And you just said, "No, it's nonsense." It's uh, you're gonna. There's a very good chance that person will never step foot in the church again because you, you just made them feel that. like an idiot. Yeah, you right?
1: alienated them for being critical thinkers. Yeah, yeah. There's <clears throat> there's absolutely so. Uh, which we should clarify, you and I, I think, both are a little bit fluid in our understanding of things. We're not very rigid people at right. this point in life. I was and at one I, point. I was as well. I was uh, yeah. you know, hyper-vigilant about doctrine and things like I that. It never felt and, right, though. Yeah, I always <laughs> knew it was off, and it, it made me a not-nice person. But we'll talk about that on another podcast. Sure. But anyway, uh, we've both, I think, grown to a place <clears throat> of fluidity in our beliefs where we're we're always asking questions and seeking answers pretty openly, uh, as, as openly as we can you know, with our biases. But... Because of that, we are also oftentimes irreverent and kind of goofy. So, right. I, I guess I want to clarify since it's the first podcast, if we say anything that seems off kilter or kind of inappropriate or something, we're just goofy. Uh, but we we do take all of this seriously. It's you know the stuff of life and meaning. It's important.
0: Yeah, and and, and kind of talking about what you said, uh, you you mentioned I didn't know that about the. I mean, I'm not even going to try to pronounce some of the stuff you said, but that, that I'm
1: sure I mispronounced a bunch of it. I don't. I'm not Hindu, and I don't. I didn't remember.
0: want to pronounce what you said because you said it so poorly that I didn't, oh, want, t- I didn't want to. You were embarrassed it. Yeah, by, yeah, exactly. by my mispronunciation.
1: Yeah. Um, but let's just say what well, all I mean to say is the Vedantic stuff that that Hindus believe or read and teach. A lot of it correlates with scriptural stuff in the Christian Bible.
0: Yeah, and that's that. That is that's just. That's very interesting. I mean, you could sit there and do the same thing with the Gospels. And you want some examples? There differences. Uh, I got, sure, I
1: got some examples, yeah. and a couple of them are in the Gospels. <clears throat> so this is from uh, from Vedantic teaching. This is from uh, the uh, uh, Bhagavad Gita. So Gita means song, by the way. Hmm. So the Bhagavad okay. Song. It's like I said, it's like seven hundred verses long. It's a song. Anyway, here's the first one. It's from chapter nine, uh, verse eighteen. translated into english i am the goal the sustainer the master the witness the abode the refuge and the most dear friend oh dude Uh uh-oh
0: is that still recording
1: yeah okay uh the master the witness the abode the refuge did you just say something wrong No, that was weird, wasn't it? (laughs) Okay, let's start over.
0: Uh, Can can, can we read from the New King (laughs) James? Okay,
1: so from the Bhagavad Gita. I am the goal, the sustainer, the master, the witness, the abode, the refuge, and the most dear friend. I am the creation and the annihilation, the basis of everything, the resting place and the eternal seed. Colossians 1 from the Christian Bible, verses 15 to 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, or the first seed of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then Revelation 22, 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, or the birth and the annihilation is what the Bhagavad Gita mm. says. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. So that sounds awfully similar. Here's another example. Only one more, and then we can talk. This is uh, chapter six, verse thirty. For one who sees me everywhere, this is in the Bhagavad Gita. For one who sees me everywhere and sees everything in me, I'm never lost, nor is he ever lost to me. Hmm. That sounds a lot like uh, John six thirty nine. Yeah. Jesus said, this is the will of the one who sent me, that I shouldn't lose anything, or that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And then in John 17, 21, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Hmm. So even the themes that are drawn out as being so important, like unity with the divine and things like that, That's they're just... It's all over ancient texts of religious nature, not just the Bible, the Christian Bible.
0: So you know you you bring up uh, you bring up Jesus, who was he seems significantly central,
1: yes, leader of the world's largest religious affiliation, right? For now, yeah, it's like, it's like almost <laughs> three billion people or something can consider themselves Christian, yeah. So it's pretty significant,
0: but that I think that is probably a point. I'm, I'm kind whereas of whereas Hinduism okay.
1: is fourth. I don't know if you realize that. So I was reading from a Hindu document, and then what was is Islam second, second is Islam, and three, do you know what number three is? It's kind of a trick, though. Is it like atheism or something? Ir- irreligious. irreligious, yeah. So okay. Christianity, Islam, irreligious, Hindu. The, that's the top four. And I'm not I'm not sure I could give you the rest in order. I wonder
0: how that's trended over the West,
1: but from Christianity to Hindu is a big drop. I mean, a big drop. It's still there are plenty of Hindus in the world, but uh, it's just a huge difference from number one to number four in the, the count. I'm, I'm sure, sure we can you find I'm sure there are statistics all over Google. If you no want less to than it two
0: million different denominations. Oh yeah, and then, sex among, <laughs> yeah. then you
1: have that problem. Uh, like even within you Islam, probably have just as many
0: among so. the irreligious. Yeah. You
1: yeah. Know. yeah. Okay. So back Anyways. to the
0: point. Yeah. So that I would I would imagine that anybody anybody listening would. Would probably have the same thought that i i have which is like okay it all these are assuming that you didn't just go and cherry pick stuff which i know you already acknowledged that well i literally did. i'm not yeah i literally well did i know you did i was just, just gonna to say you did do that a side-by-side side comparison but i mean like as if you were trying to convince somebody of something, yeah, yeah. right. As if you had an agenda here, which I, I know you don't. Uh, we're just
1: my yeah. only agenda was to show that some there are some similarities in these ancient texts.
0: Yeah, and if I my agenda would be, hey, if you if you have these thoughts, don't you, you, and you're interested in in something that's not in the pew in front of you, it, you you're not going to go to hell to to look at it. You, know you mentioned I mean? a
1: great example with the Book of Enoch, which is. Uh, often considered anti biblical almost, even though it was traditionally held alongside the biblical books. So you have a history book from the intertestamental period that talks about Enoch and his experience in the world, and includes a book that a smaller section we call the Book of the Watchers. Mm-hmm. And the Watchers, the Nephilim or uh, Anakim Raphaim, they're mentioned in different ways in, in the Ancient Semitic text, but or in the ancient Hebrew text, but whatever you call them, these sort of giant beings, the offspring of the sons of of God and no. the daughters of humanity, and that's a bit that's a bit of a mystery. But whatever they are, they're mentioned in the Hebrew Bible, in the book of Genesis. Once. Right right there. I think it's in Genesis six. Yeah. It's uh
0: Yeah, it's Genesis it's, six.
1: Yeah, it's right there. Yeah. And then they're basically never really mentioned again. They are, I'm going to argue, they are through land association, like the Valley of the Rephaim and things like that that are mentioned later during the conquest of Canaan. And I think a lot of the conquest of Canaan is tied in, yes, it's tied in with, so someone like Goliath, who hails from a city that that's associated with the Nephilim? So all that stuff that we could get into later Indirect, with the Hebrew Bible,
0: maybe ties. Yeah, there's uh, at least yeah.
1: some implicit stuff yeah. in there that's like, hey, this is this is rooted in that problem that made God flood the whole world. Maybe before. about as
0: implicit as some of the other uh, non-biblical texts you just read. Yeah. So my point yeah.
1: being, the exactly my point yeah. being, the Book of Enoch is literally quoted in the New Testament. And it uses, it alludes to and explains things that are mentioned in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, the First Testament, whatever politically correct term you want to use for it, the Hebrew Bible. I'll try to call it the Hebrew Bible. Um, if, if we can admit those things, that there are these connections and overlaps and that people in the ancient world read the different texts and didn't see them as competing, but informing. It was almost like more background. In the same way that you might read from a biology book, but then your teacher gives you an extra article this week that you need to read about this this system in the body. And you think, well, I already read the chapter in the book that covered that. Why should I read this article? Well, this article goes deeper or it shares a little bit more that the book doesn't tell yeah. you. Is it going to be on you the test, though? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that's exactly my point. <laughs> our instinct is to say, but is that going to be on the test? And if the teacher said, no, it's just some extra reading for you to learn, you would say, I don't need that. I yeah. just need to pass the test. Save the tree. Yeah, except right. except if you ever become a doctor or a nurse, or work in the medical field you might want to know as much information as possible to be as effective as possible and that's the point is if you are a religious person which i believe in the historic idea of religion that all people are religious they're all experiencing the world around them in, in a religious way meaning religioso what ties it together hmm. we're all asking the question what ties us together what makes sense of all this if we're all on some Point in that religious spectrum, then this matters for everybody. We need to be able to put the pieces together and, and study what we can with with what we have. Okay, so with that so, with yeah. that said, go ahead.
0: Well, as a quick quick side note, we don't have to uh, get go down this uh, a book review or anything, but uh, I do know Michael Michael Heiser, uh, "Reversing Herman," is a great book on if you really want to get into that Genesis six. Oh yeah, he Nephilim, talks about yeah, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a whole book. All about that, and yeah, if you want to understand it, you 'll have to read it more than I did, yeah, <laughs> but it's great it's a great it, it's thought provoking at the very least anyways um and so, uh, admittedly, part of the reason I brought this I'm sure it seeded this line of questioning, or, you know this uh prompt, if you will, but uh, what I was going to say was a lot of people would say, you know that's great, all these comparisons, yeah, it's you know hard to ignore there's but the thing that separates the hebrew bible from everything else is that it points to jesus christ as the messiah and that would probably be the biggest critique and that's where you'd probably lose a lot of folks if they do not if you can't point to a specific you know the whole um uh, book chapter verse uh argument of you know show me in the bhagavad-gita where it says you know, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And I, you know, and yeah. I'm not. I'm again. Of I'm not trying a thousand, to be irreverent, because right, Jesus But Jesus wasn't born yet. Yeah, right. There's a whole lot of "because"s there, but yeah. and, and honestly, I don't know.
1: I, I don't quite know. I, I. I wonder if because of things like the Bhagavad Gita, when supposedly the Apostle Thomas, uh, doubting Didymus the twin, when he goes to India, according to tradition, mm-hmm. and spreads the gospel there, maybe that's why it was so well received by so many of those people. It's an interesting
0: thought. Yeah. Because
1: they had already been sort of prompted in the past with the teachings of their faith to look for someone like this, who who can bring the Atman and Brahman together together which is the idea of like the divine man and the human man, sort of the the that they're not. It's non-dual. It's not like two people in one, but the idea that you are both things. You're a spiritual being and a human being. That's part of Hindu teaching in in the Vedantic history. My point being, they they had sort of prepared that soil, so then when the seed of Jesus was planted, it flourished mm. for a lot of people. It's like, oh, we're re- we were already ready for this. Sounds like a parable. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, and then perhaps that's something a God would do if a God made those Indian people in God's image, just like God made all the other peoples in God's image.
0: Do you think when Didymus uh, showed up, he uh, started ripping up uh, Hindu Bibles?
1: I think he. I think they had a big bonfire and they yeah. brought out all their rock and roll records and uh, their Vedantic teaching and said, "Burn it all." Yeah, as they should. Yeah, because it doesn't. It doesn't mention. And if you if you read the uh, Bhagavad, Bhagavad Gita backwards. It actually is satanic, and it says sex." Okay.
0: Do you ever see uh, Little Nikki where they playing Chicago? A long time, a long time ago. All right, in
1: Chicago. <laughs> <What a stupid laughs> okay, so back back
0: to the point. Uh, so well, that, what, 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 what they go? Sorry, no. Go ahead.
1: No, you go. Ahead. <laughs> I was going to bring. What it back was to The gonna, Hebrew Bible. Oh, too. I was just going to say. I was intent. just
0: going to make a point, and it sounds like I'm being cute, but I don't know. Think you about cute. it. Thank you. Is it my sweater?
1: Yeah, it's a good Cosby sweater. You're not. It's not politically correct to wear that anymore. That's fine. You, you heard about the old sweater right Never mind. Yeah.
0: Can you explain that? Nope. Okay. So, um, this is actually belonging to a. Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what I was going to say was I do believe that it is possible to have texts outside of the Bible that point to Jesus, right? And that should be kind of a no-brainer and I know again it sounds like I'm being cute but like I could write a letter I could write a letter to a friend in prison right just tell them let them know hey man I hope you're doing okay let me know if I could do anything for you if we're praying for you I could write a letter to a a a, a widow condolences you know all these things are documents that point to Jesus just as much as any biblical, just as much as Zechariah four eleven does, you know, well, I don't know what that is. But um, all I'm saying is that if you just shut down anything that comes your way that sounds foreign, um, that sounds like it doesn't belong, that doesn't explicitly point to Jesus, and maybe even points to another just outright another God, right? And I, I, I'm. I i do not know. What's the call on that?
1: Like, what the the. Uh, are you asking me on a podcast? Are other world religions drawn to Jesus, or are they left out? Is that what you're asking? I, I mean, if you're asking, me I don't person, know what I'm so asking. As, I, a, uh, as a as a Christian pastor, which yeah. admittedly I am, uh, is a professed believer in Jesus. I absolutely believe that every world religion or every system of understanding God and humanity and the world we live in ultimately will always lead to Jesus if it is a pursuit of truth and I think that's why Jesus said the truth will set you free don't be afraid of the truth he often talked about fear and the disciples after him wrote about fear John maybe most famously perfect love drives away fear fear has to do with punishment the one who still fears hasn't been perfected by love the idea being the love of God transcends religious systems moral beliefs ethical values all of that stuff the stuff that teaches you to do good or not do bad and be afraid of, of judgment and all that stuff it's none of that's unimportant kind of like the rigid person who fits within that box there's a place for that but God isn't in that box uh, humans may need the box to contain mm. our—that's our, no, interesting uh, you know our humanity because it's you know it kind of leaks out but god can't be contained in a box so so there's a god who transcends every people group every ethical norm every moral whatever uh that that fundamental belief for me that there's this god who created all peoples indigenous in every nation all the different beliefs the ones who worship fire the ones who worship the sea the ones who made a pantheon of gods to worship or a a polytheon of gods um the ones who made themselves god uh the ones who who don't acknowledge God or want to explain things in natural ways, like a post-enlightenment natural worldview, that it's all sort of self-contained coincidentally, which, again, I think is a bit nonsensical. And, and the category of supernatural and natural is nonsensical. Uh, if there is a God, God is involved in all of it. If there isn't a God, then it's all natural. If there is no supernatural. Okay. I, no, no, I, I, I actually follow you. That, okay, I so, like but yeah. as a bit of a side point. So uh, back on the main path we're on here, I think it would only make sense if a God made all those people that, the, that God would care about all those people and th- therefore present God's self to all those people somehow. I don't believe that only the few sort of elect Jewish and then later Judeo-Christian people are, are the ones privileged to know God and everybody else is just at a loss. It's good luck. In fact, I think it's quite the opposite. I think all these other people know things about God almost as if they were each looking at a diamond at a different facet of that diamond. So they're all at, at different angles looking at this precious stone. It's beautiful from every angle, but no one sees the whole diamond. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's that old parable that everyone's touching different parts of the elephant and they're like, oh, it feels like a long snake It's the tail. You know, or yeah, it's like yeah, a yeah. trunk of a tree and it's its leg. That kind of, you know, yeah, it's no, silly, no, it's, but it's actually quite it's, a profound it analogy. It is, absolutely. We're all in a dark room feeling different parts of this thing or we're all looking at different facets of the same sparkling diamond. The fact that my facet of the diamond isn't yours doesn't change the fact that it's the same diamond. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about God. So like my... You know, my friends who aren't even religious, I still think that they see God. And they see God every time they look at a little innocent baby that's born. They see God when they pet their dog and feel that sense of loyalty and love. And like all the things that are God in the world, for me, they experience that. And I think that's God. Now, I think the fullest expression of God is in the person of Jesus. And that's why I think Jesus says, and later the uh, the apostles write in the New Testament, things like Jesus is the Full expression of the deity, or you know, he's the full the full expression or embodiment of God in the world. They want us to understand that that Jesus is more than just a teaching system. He's God as a person. So I, I don't yeah. know if I really answered the question. Or
0: not. No, it does. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't trying to like set you up or anything. I just kind of hit a. Uh, I just I guess I just want kind of wanted to hear you put it. I know I know you're very, you you have a talent for putting abstract. things that would take me epochs to explain (laughs) and try to distill you're able to get that into uh into a two minute
1: uh i doubt that well maybe three minutes i don't think i've ever talked for three and a half minutes maybe like 20 22 minutes maybe you
0: mentioned like uh you mentioned folks who you didn't say this in these words but folks who are not necessarily do not hold uh yahweh in the uh as the God, right, as as the one and only living God, and and his Son, Jesus, and and you know the the traditional Judeo Christian or at least Christian uh, belief, but I think it's kind of funny, and and hopefully I'm not overstepping here, but I was thinking about uh, the Old Testament writings, and and the, the Solomon uh, is credited with writing uh, some of. People, some of my favorite books of the Bible, right, at least a lot of uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and we don't know that for sure, right, but um, he, uh, I'm again, being cute, but if you were to look at, if you were to say uh, Solomon's, I don't know, Solomon's janitor uh, slept around with hundreds of women and worshipped a bunch of false gods, w- would you say that... Uh, did You say he's doing all right; that he's good in God's eyes. You know that he's um, in in heaven right now, or however you want to. I, okay, I, you
1: brought you've brought up a uh, an elephant in the room to not in the former analogy of the elephant. Yeah, in the room. how dare you. This confused the more, me. Like the body. Yeah, I'm sorry. Now I mean like the awkward thing nobody wants to talk about, and that is the way we address religion in general. You ask, were they? Are they okay? Are they in heaven now? I'm not yeah. accusing you of anything. No, that no. is the question everyone starts with. That premise is. A setup for failure. Yeah, you can't have this conversation about ancient texts and other religious beliefs if your if your most immediate question is, "But how do you get to heaven? So when you die? Or are they in heaven?"
0: I, I, they I want to get there. I want to get there, and I'm, I, I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have put in those terms. I was I was being facetious. Kind let of. Let me
1: pause you and ask you to rephrase that.
0: Let me let me rephrase it just by saying, should we be listening to, uh, should we be taking advice from somebody on how to worship God, who is from the exact same book from the Bible has been shown to have done everything that he wasn't supposed to do, namely worship false gods.
1: So you're saying should we even listen to Solomon if he's clearly a bad example yes. of faithfulness? Yeah, just a question. I think the answer is we should learn from him. I think it's good. Uh, which is exactly my point in Genesis, that uh, back to the, the idea of ancient text. There are narratives, there are historical narratives, there are poems, their, uh, there's wisdom literature, advice, uh, song, but, which I guess the poems are songs, but you have uh, prophetic literature at times, apocalyptic prophetic literature, it's like about the, the eschaton, the final days of the world, and people imagining what that will be like, everybody always wonders what's the end of the world going to be, all that stuff's in, this, in these ancient books, and you have to kind of, you have to go through all of that and find find the way it all fits together. Well, through that process, you start to uncover stories of people that are far from perfect. And in fact, one of the things I love most about the Hebrew Bible is how brutally honest it is about its main players. Mm -hmm. The people you read about in the Hebrew Bible are not exemplars of holiness and righteousness and morality. They're almost always utter failures, which to me gives credence to to the book. It makes it feel real. It makes it feel genuine. Here are real people wrestling with, apparently, a real God because... uh, even that god is honest at times that uh, what what's the phrase god was grieved to the heart that god had made humankind this upon the earth the right flood. before the flood yeah. yeah what god says that that they're grieved to their heart that they're they feel grief over the people that they had made some people say he regretted god regretted making humankind but i think the the better translation is god was grieved over it god mm-hmm. felt pain and almost pity for these humans who were so had become so violent and selfish and god said i've got to help them that whole story is is almost like a weakness of god or in genesis when god says where are you when the the first human couple the archetypes they're of humanity male and female them. literally adam means human so when the human and the the woman are hiding and god comes in and says where are you does god not know is god confused why would you do this thing does god not know there you know, I'm not implying God doesn't know. I'm implying that the writer was okay saying that God didn't know. <laughs> God was a, another character in the story. I do mm. believe in God, just to be clear. But God <laughs> was in the story one of the players, one of the characters, in this poetic narrative yeah. about creation. That was written at least thousands of years after creation actually happened. If you believe in a literal creation, by literal I mean that things were created and didn't just appear then you can't, you still, even if you believe in a literal creation that God made it, I think it's still near impossible to read the Hebrew text and think that's the scientific explanation for the creation. It's a narrative about creation hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after the fact, or I would say it could be millions or billions of years. Yeah, th- that, th- th- things that's don't that's need, not the point.
0: The accounts don't need to necessarily be
1: accurate in order to be the truth someone someone uh i think it was joseph lamb the the guy i mentioned earlier asked him like is yom a day 24 hours or is it a period of time and he said i don't think they cared yeah and was, his cares, answer wasn't dude. it could be my answer would have been well it could be used either way you know it's yom does mean day they do say morning and evening the first day morning and evening the second day this is in the the book of genesis in the hebrew story of creation and you know we could argue it's a day you could also argue that a day was a metaphor or you could argue that it didn't even mean a day it meant a period of time because the word yom could mean that too but he doesn't go there he's not like well it could be this or it could be that he says they wouldn't have asked that question they don't mm-hmm. care about that the people who were reading this document the people who wrote it the scribes who must have penned it and wrote it the, none of them cared about that question
0: well the funny thing is also and gosh yes, we're I mean, I guess it's sort of the point. Of well, this that's podcast, the point of but, ancient texts: is but it, that
1: we're asking the wrong questions yeah, of the text, yeah. so then we get stupid answers. When you ask stupid questions, you get stupid. But answers. But also,
0: we're talking about a God who's out, who, in, who created time and is outside of time, and yet we're trying to define His creation through time. Through time,
1: yeah. It's kind of a But God says sort about, of a joke. How about you ask me about creation through order and purpose? Right. And if you read Genesis narrative through order and purpose or intentionality, it makes total sense. Here's a tabernacling god who from the outside in creates order out of chaos and then in the middle where you would have the image of the god in the holiest place of the temple god makes a garden this holy place and he puts his own image god or his and her own image you know god makes male and female in god's image god is genderless is what i'm trying to say you know we assume masculinity when we write but God doesn't he's not masculine or feminine God is just God. So male and female are made in the image of this deity of this God and placed in the supposedly in the holy place of this cosmic temple. That's the language of Genesis. It has nothing to do with how long it took. It's about the days of order and it really it's an explanation for Sabbath. This is a people group that worship God on the Sabbath on the 7th day of every week on Shabbat and God through this writing the people or God through the pens of the scribes is telling the people why they do this because that's what God created them to do, to work six days and rest on the seventh day. And then God takes that picture and says, This is the hope of humanity, that we could work for the six days metaphorically and then have a seventh ultimate day of final rest together where we enjoy the labors that we've you know invested forever. And don't and, heal people. Yeah, yeah. Don't heal people. Uh, <laughs> that's now you're jumping into the gospels. But but the point is is it's a moot point it doesn't matter how long each day was or if it was 24 hours or millions of years and i used to want to argue no it could have been millions of years now i just say who cares because they didn't care that wasn't their concern well does it
0: matter if it was a great wolf or a, you know a,
1: a dragon or a I thought you giant meant a great fish or a whale with jonah but well you're right. about yeah well i'm dragon. saying I, so one thing this I'm, Was the serpent in the garden a demonic being, a brazen one, which is the same word for serpent? You know what's funny is that there
0: there are creation myths around the world in pockets that could have never talked to each other that share that serpent story in the garden, and it's I mean, I'm not trying to be uh, ancient aliens or you know what, it's some crazy conspiracy, but that's stuff that's well, kind of tough if, to ignore. You if know if what it's I mean? a like,
1: god who's inscribed some of these things on the hearts of humanity?
0: Yeah, that's like
1: uh, my my so they my brother asked all these me because ancient texts.
0: My brother asked me one time. He's like, "What?" We were kind of having a similar conversation. He's just like, "Yeah, I just can't. Uh, I, I can't buy everything in the Bible necessarily." He's like, "What if?" What if it's like what about all these? We talked I think he might have mentioned Gilgamesh. You know, like basically everything we've talked about. How can you explain that? You know, when you say that the Bible is the only thing full of, of truth, I'm like honestly, I don't necessarily believe it is. Yeah, you're asking. I, the I wrong feel like question. if God wanted, if God wanted us to pay attention to Him, He would have sown His seeds everywhere throughout all of humanity. And you know, and bring the elephant analogy again. And you know, it sounds like we're being kind of contrived or whatever, but we're not. I mean. <laughs> you you ask you ask uh every single all 300 people in the congregation what God is to them and they we're going to have a bunch of different answers and yeah. and and yeah there will obviously be a lot of commonalities but most of it's going to be rooted in their exp- their life experience and the world around them their own personal lives and God's going to be reflected in that and there's no you know I mentioned Solomon <coughs> Solomon was you know I'm kind of accounted in some regard as a garbage human, right? And yet we we hold his word like it's sacred because I believe it is. Well, you know, some of these overlaps that you're talking about from the Bhagavad Gita, and if I'm saying that right, but you know, related to uh, was it Colossians? Like, is it that could have been written by a garbage human as well? You know, like, does that mean we should ignore it? I mean, it, so.
1: That that's a different question than the one I'm about to answer, but that that's a good question. I I don't think we should ignore any human enterprise that was see- like. Okay, so how about Heidegger? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Tim Heidegger? No, no, no. Uh, the philosopher. Um, I think he was for a while a Nazi, even if just through sympathizing, but uh, didn't know another way, but. Yeah, this, that's not important. My point is he wrote some really brilliant stuff, and yet he was associated with the Nazi party. So there's, um, and I hope I'm not mixing up my, my history there. That's not stuff I've read recently. But there, my point is there are great thinkers out there that have done horrible things or have been partnered with horrible people, and we still think some of what they thought of was great.
0: Hitler you know was I mean? really nice to dogs. He's probably a great example of how to was he really? take I care of your know. dog. Yeah. I didn't
1: know that. So Hitler loved dogs. There you go. So it's a great example. So what if he wrote a pamphlet on how to love and care for your dog, but then he you know, was part of the process of exterminating genocidally entire groups, people groups in, East, in Europe. You know what right. I mean? Like, here's this m- m- literally a maniac, mm-hmm. but he did this one thing really well. Can't we pay attention to this one thing, even though he did a lot of things poorly? Or what, uh, maybe a better thought, is what if Hitler didn't kill himself, assuming that he did, and what if instead... He wrote a memoir after he was captured by the allied forces and he wrote a memoir about how wrong he was and what he learned from being a megalomaniac dictator who committed genocide. Would we then read that memoir and say, wow, that's a lot of helpful stuff from somebody who's sort of been there and done that and taken evil to an extreme. Jeffrey, which da- is, Jeffrey Dahmer's words in prison. Yeah, that which is that, clo- yeah. That's closer to the Solomon account where Kohelet, the teacher in Ecclesiastes, is saying, I've gone down these roads and they all lead to emptiness and dissatisfaction. Vanity of vanities vapor in the wind. So it's, I think that's a better example. But I want to answer a different question, uh, which is the question, do, do all these ancient texts, as your brother would posit, do these ancient texts then uh, undo the witness of Scripture or or invalidate the Bible and I would argue they corroborate the witness of Scripture. So I don't read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John look for the discrepancies and then throw out all that evidence. I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and, and extra-biblical Gospel accounts that have similarities that we call we call them pseudepigraphal, they're falsely authored or attributed, but there are other Gospels that have some stories that overlap with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. My point being, all those overlapping stories, which we know now are from oral tradition for decades, and then finally written down, those stories all corroborating, even if it's just 80% corroboration, and then the other 20% sometimes disparate, you know, even if most of it aligns and overlaps, That's corroborated evidence. I see that as a witness to validity, not invalidation. I don't think that means the Gospels are fake because they disagree, but they're really close. Or in terms of scientific
0: significance, even if just 5% of it does.
1: Yeah, but my point is it's way more than that. And the same is true. Like the more Noah's story and the Epic of Gilgamesh overlap, to me, the more that corroborates biblical witness. That's the more likely I am to accept that these events could really have taken place. I would be more surprised if stuff like what the book of Genesis describes happened for real and no one else noticed or wrote about it. That would concern me. The fact that so many people were writing such similar things that they recognized evil and often depicted it in serpentine ways, brazen and slithery and sneaky. Well, that tells me that humans from the beginning have recognized, at least from the time of writing, like cuneiform text, that they've recognized evil as a, a sneaky, conniving thing that creeps up in a person and, and causes bad. They've recognized that. That's a human trait. So, to me, that's not, that's not uh, invalidating what the Bible says. It's further corroborating its witness saying, look, this is so obvious that all these other ancient people groups were thinking similar things. So I don't know if that helps at all. But yeah, to me, yeah. it's, it does the exact opposite of what people want it to do. The, the problem is that we start with a bad premise. Much like we ask, well, are those people in heaven? Hmm. Well, now you've created a weird question out of the situation. I, I'm not asking that. I'm asking, do all these other religions help point to Jesus also as people pursue religion in general? Are they on a spectrum that ultimately leads to the embodied God that I know through Jesus Christ? If that's my question, then yeah, I see it all over the place. I see it in the Vedantic writings. I see it, it within some forms of Buddhism. Uh, I see it, certainly see it within modern Islam and the, at least the peaceful forms of Islam, the non-violent kind. Is um, it Ahisma a or something? There's a Hindu word for non-violence that's popular. So like these other religions have non-violent teachings that align with what Jesus demonstrated, where you, that's like Mahatma Gandhi. That's why he was willing to sacrifice himself to maintain a non-violent peaceful order. He, and he said Jesus demonstrated that. He recognized that in Jesus, he sees the same thing that is promoted in his own faith. He basically said Christians kind of suck at it, but right. but Jesus was really good at it. My point being, Jesus is the full containment of, of all the good things that we need to know about God. But you can know a lot of those things without Jesus. You just can't know anything complete, completely or as fully as you could with Jesus. So I do think Jesus is the the... Epitome, like the or the pinnacle or whatever, like he's he's God, he's the God man. As a Christian, I profess that. But as a, a fellow human, I recognize a lot of things I learned from Jesus I could have learned in other ways. But there's some things I could never learn without Jesus, and there's there's no way to put it all together the way that Jesus does. So there is something supreme about Jesus of Nazareth in my mind. But it's not completely exclusive. It's not like only Jesus and everything else is a waste. I don't well, know if any of that's making no. Any sense. It
0: makes sense. Uh, and, and, you know, somebody could snip that last piece you just said out of context, and then you would get fired. Yeah, um, yeah. But 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 I know what you're saying. But um, it's
1: it's that exclusive is the right word. It's yeah. the exclusivity instead of the inclusivity. Jesus was by nature inclusive, and we continue to try to make him exclusive—that he's just for us. But Even though we say he's not
0: yet, that, uh, yet, all our actions show that that is how we okay, feel. Okay. If we
1: have, how, what time is it? We have uh, a oh, we're we're almost out of time. I got we're a timer now, and it's
0: gonna it's gonna hit us in three minutes. Three minutes.
1: Okay. Let me let me do this real quick. Great <laughs> great example in the actual New Testament, okay. John chapter four. Jesus goes through Samaria. He stops at a village. There's a woman unnamed at a well. He talks to her about Samaritan worship. If you don't know the history. They had a temple they built on the Mount Gerizim, which was in contest with the temple in Jerusalem because they weren't welcome there. The Samaritans were a half-breed group of dog people. You know, they were they were the trash humans according we're to the Jews.
0: Familiar with those. Yeah, there. yeah,
1: yeah. So they have an ethnic dispute years prior, and they you know they they feel that each other are are bad in some way. So the Samaritans are bad because they're mixed breed; they're not true Hebrew Jews. The Hebrew Jewish people are uppity, stuck up, whatever, and And arrogant and unwilling to associate with the Samaritans so the Samaritans hate them and there's this like a a clear division ethnically and socially between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people they both have rules about interacting with each other Jesus breaks the the customs and he goes into this town he stops at a well in the middle of the day and meets with this woman and they have the longest conversation recorded in the Bible and it's a mostly excuse me a conversation about worship it's a conversation about worship of two different people groups that are both kind of right and kind of wrong and Jesus basically ends it by saying I'm here to bring them together Hmm. that's why he had come that's at the beginning of John's gospel in chapter 4 right after the in the beginning was the word the word was with God and John the Baptist preaches and Jesus goes out and starts doing this stuff and that's where he goes so one of the first things he does the first preacher in the gospel of John is that woman she leaves her picture behind goes into town and tells everybody there's this man who knows everything about me Could he be the Messiah, the the hope, the anointed one? It's literally what it says, the anointed one. The question is, why were Samaritans looking for an anointed one? They're not even the right, they're (laughs) not even the Jewish people. That's Jesus' point, is they're all looking for the same thing, and he's come to answer the question, to bring the thing that they're looking for. So that's that's my point, is even in the Bible, Jesus makes it very clear my job. Is to bring all these people together under the one God who loves them.
0: One last thing that you made me think of um, before this thing goes off in forty-five seconds. A lot of times when you when you listen to something, go to any freaking praise YouTube song, and you get some comment at the beginning that says like, "I wasn't, I was Muslim, and I found heard this song, and I followed." You know, you know, I'm talking about. You get somebody these conversion stories, and they're just so moving. So many times we think, Oh, they must have finally talked to a missionary. But what or some you know, something like that. Something like, oh, yeah. they finally talked to the guy with the New King James Bible. Yeah. What if their These dumb people finally what, got smart. What if yeah. their beliefs led them to Jesus organically? Through uh, yeah. Jesus. Which often is the case. Yeah.
1: You know, I, And then we, who gets the credit when that happens? Not an evangelist <laughs> or missionary. You too. God. Yeah. It's God who <laughs> planted I mean, all God, of that yeah. in the humans, yeah. That's, hey, that's amazing that's, that's pretty amazing. good timing man okay um cool yeah uh this will be an unending conversation so we'll yes. we'll have a prompt or a topic every week or as often as we can record the podcast um, i hope it'll be every week but as often as we record we'll have some kind of prompt or question to get us going and then we'll talk for roughly an hour and then we'll wrap it up and then we'll continue on the next week and i'm sure a lot of things will come up again and again but we'll try to have a different prompt or topic every time cool i think that's the nature of these discussions. I'm sure the more we do it, the more irreverent and goofy we'll be, and maybe we'll find like a niche audience that actually cares about all of this. But if not, it's fun for us just to talk. Indeed,
0: yeah, it's, all, it's very helpful. Thank you, Dr. Joey Leviathan.
1: Uh, of course, of course. <laughs> Until next time, Bobby Behemoth. <laughs> <laughs> See ya.